This January, over 750 OA members gathered in Los Angeles for OA's 50th birthday party. Events included keynote speakers, multiple long-timer panels, workshops, a big book boot camp, and even an appearance by Roseanne S. If you'd like CDs or MP3s of any or all of these sessions, go to oa50th.org and then follow the link to the recordings. That's oa50th, oa50th.org. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker, Al. Hi, my name's Al. Compulsive reader. Uh, I'd like to thank Leslie uh, for asking me to share. I really love Leslie, and for that I'm going to keep it clean, Leslie. I'm going to. <laughs> I usually don't. You know what I mean? I, um, in no way do I want you to think that that I have all the answers. You know, when I say something, I'm not putting anybody down. You know what I mean? You know, because, like, when I find out God wasn't a Catholic, that doesn't mean I put Catholics down. You know, I just, God's not a Catholic, that's all. But we all have to, uh, we all have to find our own way. And um, what happened to me is, uh, I was always a little bit overweight, not an awful lot. I got sober in 1963, and I quit smoking in... About five years later, in 1968, and I went straight from cool cigarettes to apple fritters. I <laughs> went straight to Winchell's, you know what I mean? It's, and, you know, for, for me, if it had grease and sugar or grease and salt, it was good. You know, that's all it really took. I was married at the time. I've been married like Five times. <laughs> and I was married this last time just to give you a quick rundown um, because I need to get this off my chest. So, with this woman, like, we're married for 27 years and we're together for 30 years. And her boyfriend in high school found her on the internet and I started calling her about a couple of years, about a year and a half ago. And about six months ago, she told me that she was talking to this guy, you know, and uh, that she loved him just as much as she loved me. And uh, and that they were having phone sex. And that really, uh, you know, that really, uh, you know, that really hit me. And um, out of that, I had to now... I'm the type of guy who looks for relief. You follow me? And for relief, there's drugs, alcohol, smoking. Or for me, relief is uh, a Winchell's Donuts. Or, you know, I'm half Mexican, so bean sandwiches. I love bean sandwiches. You know, I would go for there, you know, and but I didn't do that. Because I came into Overeaters Anonymous and I learned something. The most valuable thing that we learn here is discipline. I learned that. 
And so I applied that, and um, I prayed for her, and I did all the stuff, you know what I mean? I prayed to be tolerant and uh, patient and not be critical and be forgiving. I work in Mexico every other week, and... um, I come back, uh, I, like, I go down Monday and I stay at the Marriott Hotel. Then. Got a tough job, make ladies' lingerie. And so I'm down there, and I stay at the Marriott, and I come, I go down there and I work, and I come back the following day. I come back that Tuesday, and there's a note on the uh, kitchen sink saying, um, oh, you're a wonderful guy. I want you to know I really enjoy living with you. I really love you, but... Goodbye. So she shot off to Houston, Texas. And um, so life's got its shit. You know what I mean? What has to happen is I, and one of the reasons I was able really to, one one of the reasons I was able to, you don't handle a situation like this. What you do if you live, you know, you live through it a day at a time. You don't live through it. You just write it. You surf it a day at a time. And I have to And What happens is, what happens is, what am I surfing? I'm surfing my emotions. Because my, out of my emotions, what happens is pain comes out of there. And when pain comes out, we have to learn. If I hadn't come into Overeaters Anonymous, I would have handled it with food. I mean, I did before. I mean, enough of this had story, enough of that. I'm bored with that story now. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, I brought it up. I had to bring it up, you know what I mean? And I'm not swearing, so you're going to have to suffer. (laughs) If i got to suffer, you're going to suffer. My second wife, uh, when we're going out, she likes sex. But after we got married, after we got married, she didn't. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I wish I could tell you guys, uh, give you a different story, but I can only tell you what happened in my life, you know. And so what I, how I would handle that, you know, like I'd make a pass at her, you know, she'd come to bed and I'd make a pass at her and she'd, oh no, not again. I said, again, it's been like three weeks, you know. And so I would, what I would do is I'd get up. Go to the refrigerator, and my mom and I as a kid used to have. Does anybody here get Mexican or Spanish or anything like that? Yeah. Does she? She have refried beans on the. Yeah. My mom had, and my mom's Irish. You know what I mean. <laughs> and my dad was Mexican, and she had refried beans there all the time. And and I would make bean sandwiches. Take a piece of bread, throw the beans in there, a couple of those, and drink a big glass of milk and. Turn it over to God. <laughs> you realize how easy it is to turn things over to God on a full stomach. Did you ever notice that? <laughs> <laughs> We're a word group, aren't we? You know, I, mean, I think we deserve each other. <laughs> really. So what happens is, I quit weighing myself as 235 pounds. But I never thought I was fat because I had, like, size 34 elastic shorts, you know. <laughs> and it's a lot. And they would stretch, you know. And it's amazing I didn't get gangrene, you know. I mean, <laughs> but I never would get bigger shorts. 
So I went to this. I went to uh, I went to the old Radford Club when it was down on Radford Street. You know, uh, this girl had been. She shared from the podium. Not only she was an alcoholic addict, but she's a compulsive overeater, and she was hot, like you. <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I hope I embarrassed you. Okay. <laughs> and she got up and she shared, and I went up after the meeting and I asked her, "What, what is this thing about me? What is this? How'd you lose your way?" And she said, "Well, I went to Overeaters Anonymous, so I got a meeting list. She, and she gave me a meeting list. So I was living in Rolling Heights at the no, I was living in Temple City at the time, and." Uh, they had a meeting in Hacienda Heights, and I went on a Tuesday night to that, my first OA meeting, and it was around five women, about five or six women and one guy. I was in the meeting, and I heard him talk about food plan and sponsors and absence. I didn't know what they are talking about, you know. So when the meeting was over, I went up to talk to this guy, and this guy had no time to talk to me. He was busy talking to the girls you know, and the women. The my girls are women. So he was busy talking to the women. So I just went over to the to the table. You know, they had a little table like that. And they had the meeting lists. And they had a, some sort of thing with food written on there. And a gray sheet. And then uh, I took off. And I left. And, and uh, the secretary of the meeting wasn't there. But they built a, at that time, they would write the secretary's name and her phone number. And uh, I called her up, and I, you know, and I asked her if, about any other meetings, what's the thing. She started drilling me on the food plan. She said, have you got a food sponsor? I said, no, I haven't got a food sponsor. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I tried to tell her how important I was, and now I've been sober in AA. for. She didn't give it. A, a rat's thing, you know what I mean? She did not care, especially for you, Leslie. <laughs> she didn't care, you know what I mean? And so um, she said, look, I'll tell you something. You can't share at the meeting unless you've got three weeks calling abstinence. So I said, well, what do you mean calling out? She says, well, you've got to call your food in. You've got to weigh and measure it for three weeks. I said, wait, wait, how do you weigh food? She says, well, you go and get a post office scale. And then she gave me, they had a diagram. I got it in my mind right now. One, let's see, one protein, one fruit, one protein, eight ounces of vegetables, finger salad, for dinner, one protein, one cup, two cups salad, two cups, two cups salad, or was it one cup? It's a two, I may remember two cups, yeah. Two cups salad, and eight ounces of vegetable. I mean, I would pack, you would be surprised the lettuce I could pack into a two-cup container. And, uh, and uh, my first problem, I had a problem reading. Because I would ask her, I, I forget, I will call her Mary. I forget what her name was. I'd say, Mary, I didn't see ketchup. Can I have ketchup? She says, is it on the food plan? So I go read it. I say, no, it's not on the food plans. She says, well, it's not on the food plan. You can't eat it. 
Then I asked her to refried beans. So I said, can I have refried beans? <laughs> she said, is it on the food plan? I went, no, it's not on the food plan. Then I said, Spanish rice. Can I have Spanish rice? I tried to throw my heritage on it. Spanish rice, is it on the food plan? No, it's not on the food plan. Well, you can see, I had my whole thing was. So my first three weeks, my first three weeks of calling abstinence was reading. And if you really want to know why you eat, if you really want to know why you eat, all you really got to do is go on calling abstinence. It'll come up. And it came up for me. It came up for me. My, my What is the emotions? The emotions come up. And what happens... Uh, my emotions came up in a in a weird style. It came up with an anxiety attack. You know what I mean? And I had so for about and I told her I was having anxiety attacks. She didn't care. She said, "Oh, that's tough." I had them too. You know, then you know, I ain't gonna kill you. Just you can go through it. Just follow your food plan. I was very lucky. I got sober in Hawaii, so I had, I was like abstaining. I'd already like I'm six weeks. Um, I weighed myself. I lost like 30 pounds the first week, the first month. And it's easy because it's almost all water, you know, and guys lose fast. And so I was over there, and I was very fortunate because uh, I was having anxiety attacks, and my sponsor, a sponsor was there, and I talked to him. And what he did is he told me, he said, uh, you got a thinking problem. He says, you got a thinking problem. And I come back. I came back and I went to meetings and, and I got into the steps. Because what happens is, I mean, uh, Overeaters Anonymous, what it did, it put me into the steps. It put me into... Uh, what it did, it made me really conscious of how I felt. It made me conscious how I felt. And by me sedating myself with food, now I don't know anything about anorexia. I never had a problem not eating. You know, if it was if it wasn't painted and wasn't nailed down, I'd eat it. You know, you know, I had, I didn't care. You know. But what happens is I had my emotions come up, and I had to handle my emotions. That's what happens. And if you can't handle your emotions, let me tell you something. If you don't handle your emotions, what you get to go through life is counterfeit. You get to go, you know why people have to be cool? The reason they have to be cool is because they can't be who they are. Because who they are is who, because they think who they are is who they think they are. I was totally in darkened. I was sober six years, six, almost seven years, and I was totally in darkened, in darkened, unaware, busy going through life, trying to look good and being cool. And the reason I had to do that is because I couldn't be me. The reason I couldn't be me is because of the way I saw myself. So what had to happen is I had to, I had to get into the steps. Okay. 
I would have never been able to do that without calling absence. I brought a girl here uh, about six weeks ago or something like that, six, seven weeks ago. She's doing. She's lost about 30-some pounds already, and she's like, again, I got on that food plan, you know. And she said, she was talking about, what about a moderate, what about a moderate food plan? You guys really want to be honest about that? A moderate food plan is like somebody in AA on marijuana maintenance. You know what I mean? But that's only my opinion, you know what I mean? If it works for you, it works very, if you very easily, you will know if it's working for you. It's totally obvious, you know. Because I was, the food that I was eating, I was allergic to. And how I knew I was allergic to is because I swelled up. I swelled up to over 235 pounds. And when I quit eating that food, the swelling went down. But see, what happens is, I, I, I'm trying to make it simple. What happens is, is that I just didn't eat over my feelings. What I did is I investigated my emotions. I took a look at, at what I was thinking that caused me to suffer. The reason I was eating compulsively is because I was suffering. So I had to investigate what caused me to suffer. It's no different than alcoholism. Alcoholics drink because they're suffering. And unless they handle the issues that cause them to suffering, they'll drink again. I know because I've sponsored a lot of guys. And same in and I same for me in compulsive overeating. Unless I handle the issues in my life, it caused me to suffer. It caused me to suffer. The issues being the thoughts I think about me, the thoughts I think about me, I will suffer. I mean, one of the greatest breaks I had is that after I was in OA for around probably around four years, they got me to do, they asked me, I did retreats for OA, I'd go do two, three. Like she asked me, can you talk for an hour and 20 minutes? Well, 20 after, oh, that's a cakewalk. I used to talk for two and a half days, you know. <laughs> I, uh, I do meditation retreats for OA for, I mean, they fly, I got to fly all over. I did that for about three years. And in the process of doing that, I really got to run into me. So, what happens is we begin to have an experience of ourself. But to do that, there's certain things I had to break down. There's certain issues I had. Our chances are nil. My chances are nil if I get rid of my old ideas. The idea that I was unworthy because the idea that, you know, my dad told me, whatever you do, don't hang around with Mexicans. And he was Mexican, you know. So I thought I was unworthy because of that. I I was thought I was unworthy because I was Mexican. I used to tell him, I used to tell everybody I was Italian. You know what I mean? But what, but what really happens is you don't like it. What that really meant is I didn't like me. You understand? If I don't like me, I can't be me. I'm not any particular religion, but I mean, Jesus said to be like Him. But when Jesus came, he didn't do Moses or Buddha. He did Jesus. So everybody says, oh, he wants me to be like Jesus. No, dummy. He wants you to be who you are. But I can't be who I am because I think who I am is who I am. But it isn't. I thought I was unworthy. Because, and, then, and then I was molested by my uncle when I was seven years old. And that really affected me. That really, really affected me badly. 
I really saw myself as being worthy and bad and dirty and nasty and yuck. You know, and I'm keeping it clean. <laughs> and uh, and so it has to happen. I had you have a sponsor. I remember telling him I had a sponsor, and you share these things. And what you do is through the process of your inventory, and you share them. You become not them. Realize the original detachment. There's three detachments in the steps. The first detachment is the inventory when I realize I'm not things I did. You know, like I gross you out. Am I a nose picker? I pick my nose. You know what I mean? Am I an ass scratcher? I scratch my ass. Did I knock at a podium or a podium knocker? I identified myself as Al D. Nose-picking, ass-scratching, podium knocker. And as long as I did that, I was going to suffer. And it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you picking your nose or scratching your ass or knocking on the podium. It's nothing wrong with that. See, I, the idea that I identified with that, that I identified with that. So step two says that God wouldn't could restore us to sanity. So the thing is, I had to find some sort of a higher power. And through the pursuit of, like, all those retreats and stuff, I really bumped into one. And so I realized that who I am, I, I, who I am, what I am, is an extension of God. No more, no less, just like you guys. Like you. Just a little extension, like, we're extensions of God. Just little extensions of God. That's why we, we can never be anything. Because we already are that. You know what I mean? So when I realized that who I am and what I am, an extension of God, I went over and I picked my nose. I went over and I scratched my ass. I went over and knocked on the podium. At what time did I become any of those things? You said, I never became any of those things. Because what I am is an extension of God. See, it is not. Now, you want to know, how does this work? What does this do? This relieves, you know, when you're on calling and when you're on, and when you're abstaining, when you're abstaining, you haven't to, and you're having to deal with your emotions. As these issues come up, and instead of eating over them, we're forced to psychologically form a new way of thinking to deal with them. So, you know, uh, I'm going to keep talking, but I'll stop because I like questions. Anybody got a question they want to ask before I flip on? Yeah. What's the other? The other two detachments. Yeah, the, the first one is that. The second one is when we, when we, um, when we make amends to our family and stuff like that. When we make those amends, you know, and we realize that Jesus, all this stuff that I thought I had really hurt people, <laughs> their lives went on, and my life was screwed up. You know what I mean? <laughs> all the pain I thought I caused my family, while I was busy causing them pain. You know, I thought. They were putting air conditioning in their house and buying new cars, going on vacation, you know what I mean? And I was just suffering away. So what happens is that you get a different perspective. What happens is when you make amends, a different perspective. You ready for the third one? You guys really ready for the third one? I don't think so. <laughs> and the third one is where you're not, you're thinking. 
You're not your thinking. Well, you're not your mind. So we've been trained to believe that we're our mind. It's like a computer. Who runs a computer? Do you? Do you run it? You're new. Do you run it? Do you have a computer? Yeah, I got one of those things. Okay. Now, okay, one of those things. Do you run it or does it run you? Do you type it or does it type you? Okay, okay, okay. So in other words, you run your you run your computer, right? Okay. Well, this is the same thing with the mind. We have to decide: Do I run my mind, or does my mind run me? Does my do I does my mind serve me, or do I serve my mind? A lot of people. My biggest mistake, the biggest mistake I had until I started meditating. I I was sober ten years before I started meditating. I was at AOA rather for long. Four, three and a half before I started meditating, and and um, the biggest thing for me to realize that my head didn't know what it was talking about. You know what I mean? It's, it just doesn't know what it's talking about. It just rattles on, you know, and it'll always rattle on. There's no, you'll never shut it up. It gets a paycheck from God every Friday to rattle on. Yeah. It's, it's like a civil servant, you know what I mean? It's like, a, and I got no problem with civil servant. Like, say, a guy working in the post office. He gets paid eight hours to do eight hours worth of work. But he's only got two hours worth of work. So he works that two hours and he invents the work for the next six hours, you know what I mean? Our mind's the same way. Our mind is identically the same way. It's there to solve problems. So if my if I don't have a problem to solve, my mind invents a problem, and then it tells me to solve it, you know. And it tells me that if I solve it, I'll be a better person, just to listen to it, you know. Have you ever notice you've never been? There's a lot of problems you've never been able to solve because they're not problems. You understand? Because they're not. So you would just have. And the only way you find out is meditation. You got anybody meditate? You got anybody here ever meditate? Do you meditate, Leslie? I. <laughs> how do you meditate? No, no. What do you mean? About how much do you do? Your mind will never shut up. Were you listening to me? Your mind will never shut up. This mind is really boring. I go in these samadhi tanks. You know what a samadhi tank is? A samadhi tank is a box four is eight feet long, four feet wide, four four feet high. It's got ten inches of water and eight hundred pounds of Epsom salts. And it's at it's at skin temperature. And what you do is you crawl inside that box and you close the lid. You don't see anything, you don't hear anything, and you don't feel anything. And your body is totally balanced. So your mind, the part of the mind that balanced, the part of the mind that, that is used to, to, to keep me standing, like leaning on here and stuff like that, it's got nothing to do. You know what I mean? So it helps the other part of the mind. And basically, I found out because you go in there for about an hour and a half. Basically, I found out that the mind is really boring. 
It says the same thing all the time. Same thing. I'm not going to get what I want and lose what I got. Different storyline, but the same thing. You know, and the thing is, is that when you meditate, you become conscious. That's what I mean. A lot of people, we go around unconscious. If we're, before we go on absence, before I went on absence, I was unconscious. I remember I went to, I remember I went to the Pomona Fair and I, they had a machine, you put your finger in there and it gives you and it reads your, uh, what do you call it, uh, personality. Put my finger in there and it said, it said intense. <laughs> and I thought, God, that's great. <laughs> I thought a real asset, you know what I mean? I thought it was an asset. But what happens is you become observant. It's a rip-off. I mean, you want to... Wouldn't it be a bitch to go through life and never really get to be who you are? Go through life trying to look good? And what's the rip-off about trying going through life trying to look good is... Nobody's watching. <laughs> And if they are, you're not that important. You know what I mean? It's, I mean, I'm just garden variety. I am garden variety. I mean, people that they thinking about me, they're wasting their time because I'm not that important. Their life's got to be boring to think about me. You know what I mean? That's a fact. So what happens is, now you understand, now what do I get out of that? I get freedom. Five more minutes to get one. Okay. I'll talk slow. <laughs> I get freedom. I got that. Is there another question? Anybody got another question? Yeah. Tell, me, tell us a little about how you went from whatever the perceptions of God and religion in that world as you were a kid to having a conscious contact with God, the spiritual program, and the human program. Okay, I'll do that. That's easy. Huh? The question being. How did my concept of God change? Okay, I came in God as a Catholic. I found out through going to meetings and experiencing that God wasn't a Catholic because I saw a guy who was sober, under impossible conditions, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, at Anawitak Island, and didn't drink. He came to the I went to I used to go to the Waikiki meeting on Sundays, and he came to that meeting, and he shared. And he thanked his higher power, and I gave one up and gave him a quick catechism quiz, you know. <laughs> the guy, you know, and the guy is Japanese, you know? and he says, "I'm not." He says, "I'm not a Catholic. He says, I'm a Buddhist." So what I had the experience. Now listen to this. I had the experience. I don't care what you guys think. I really don't care. I'm not interested. I'm really interested in what I think. You know, I had a personal experience that God was not a Catholic. A personal experience that God was not a Christian. Personal experience that God was not any religion. This guy has stayed. I had, and so what happened is that was in the 60s. Then the next thing, I bumped into a book written by a guy who was loaded on acid when he wrote it. You know, and I was on on OA about two two years in, and, and the guy's name was Ram Das, and he wrote a book called Be Here Now. And in that book, I really in that book, in here in that book, 
he said one thing that was really profound. He quoted a guy in Gershoff saying, you cannot escape until first you realize you're a prisoner. How many of us are going through life as a prisoner? Really? Yeah, okay. How many, I mean, we're, we're going through as a prisoner. We're going through a prisoner of our belief systems. It's like a boat that's tied to a pier that can't be released because it's, it's moored with ropes. And what happens is what we have to, what we do, when I abstain and I had these emotions come up and things like that, what I was, had to do was I had to unfeather the ropes from the pier to set myself free. My belief system is what imprisoned me. We're free. I mean, we are free. We are all free. But the reason we don't experience it is because we've made agreements. We've made agreements as causes not to experience freedom. So what I needed to do, what I needed to do was investigate those agreements. Now, all these exercises I was telling you that I was doing, the only reason I could do that is because I was abstaining and I was having to feel the way I feel. You know, I have feelings come up now. You know, I have feelings of, of loneliness and I have feelings of hopelessness. I have feelings of what's going to happen. These come up. So how do, you know, what do I, how do I deal with these? Now, how I deal with this is patience, tolerance, and just be curious. I don't know what's going. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Anybody says they know what's happening in the future, ask them for the winning lotto number for tomorrow. And if they don't have that, they don't know. I just tell you this much: try to you know abstain for your own personal sense of wanting to be alive you know to be alive abstain this is one abstain to be alive abstain abstain for the right to be free abstain for the highest right in the world which is the greatest right in the world which if if God was to come down if she was to come down and say Al Here's what I want you to do. I'd say, what? What do you want me to do, Gal? I want you to be you. That's why I put you here. I want you to be you. You understand? And so what I have to do, I had to abstain so I could set myself free so I could happen. And once I happened, it's a maintenance thing. I mean, I just had this crappy thing happen, you know. And so I just have to, like... Surf it. You know. I think that's about it. Did I make it? I made it. <laughs>